We're in Revelation chapter 16. encourage you before we read the word of God to take your watch off and put it in your pocket. <laughs> so we're starting a little bit late tonight uh, on the sermon and just encourage you to not care what time it is as we begin. Hear the word of the Lord. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you gave them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had the power over these plagues. They did not repent. And give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast. And out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may, may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. And thus ends the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers and the flowers of the field fade away, but this is the word of God, and God's word stands forever. We join me as we pray and ask the Lord's blessing and help for the preaching of the word of God. All glory and honor and blessing to you, O Lord, King of the universe, the one who made us and all things, the one who rules over whatsoever comes to pass. You are the one who is and who was and who is to come. You are the Alpha and the Omega, Lord, and you are the one whose glory fills the vast expanse of time and eternity. You are the one who made us and formed us in our mother's womb. You are the one who's given us every day of life 
You are the one who has brought us, O Lord, to this place today. It is by your providence and perfect plan that you have given us this evening here to worship you. We pray that as we come before the word of God, you would give us humble hearts, that you would come and speak to us, that the risen Christ who filled the Apostle John by his spirit to write these things on the island of Patmos near 2,000 years ago, that the risen Christ would be here with us shepherding his people and applying the word of God to our hearts and preparing us for the day in which we live as we move among people who don't know their right hand from their left hand and call what is good evil and what is evil good. And Lord, help me, your servant, as I bring the word of God, that you would fill me with the spirit of God and speak through me. May Christ be honored, his church built up, and your people edified, and our souls strengthened. We pray all of this in the name of our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You know that great theologian and baseball Hall of Famer Yogi Berra is attributed to having said, it ain't over till it's over. Referring at his time to the Yankees in 1973 in their dismal start to the World Series. I'm not a sports fan, but I love that quote. They eventually did win the division title and his words proved true. Those words, it ain't over till it's over, are actually true to life, especially when it comes to the subject of the day of the Lord. It isn't over until it's over. As we walk through the book of Revelation, we see ourselves brought right up to the day of judgment time and time again. And here we have in chapter 16, the pouring out of the wrath of God on the great day of the Lord. It will be over one day. Life as we know it will be over, and the victory will be the Lord's. There is an outline in your bulletin. If you'd like to follow along tonight, it's on the very last page. Four points tonight. Where are we in the book of Revelation? When is the day of the Lord? What will it be like? And how should we respond? So where are we in the book of the Revelation? Well, remember what we have before us today, this book we call the Apocalypse, the Revelation, this part of a vision was given to the Apostle John as a picture book for God's people. God is communicating spiritual thr truth through images and pictures. The images and pictures are not the events themselves, but speak to us and reveal truth to us, communicating truth through those images to every believer in every age. So many of these images are exactly what the Apostle Paul speaks of in Ephesians 6 about the spiritual battle that we face. All down through history, Revelation, had, the book of Revelation, has been contemporary for God's people. It's as contemporary for us as it was for believers in the first century. Revelation, the book, begins and ends with this. Revelation chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. And then verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And then the very end of the book of Revelation, the very last chapter, verse 20, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. It begins saying the end is near, he's coming soon. It ends with his coming is soon. Every generation has lived under this reality. 
Every generation of believers has been blessed by these truths. Every generation is in the midst of the spiritual battles pictured here. Every generation lives in the reality of the coming of the, the day of the Lord. The book of Revelation was given to the Apostle John in the latter half of the first century while on the island of Patmos. It was a Roman punishment colony. He was in exile. This was to be a blessing and encouragement to all of God's people suffering suffering down through the ages in the midst of the tribulation. Are we in the last days? Of course we're in the last days. We've been in the last days ever since the resurrection of Christ until his coming again. In this world, even now, you will have tribulation, Jesus says. This book is to be an encouragement and a blessing to all God's people going through the tribulations of this life. From the first century, the original audience scattered throughout the Roman Empire all the way down to the end of time. The main theme of the book of Revelation is God is on his throne. Take heart. The Lord Jesus is coming back. Revelation is filled with these cycles of seven. There's seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. Each of these cycles has a different message to encourage God's people who are in the midst of suffering. The first three cycles encourages God's people to be faithful in the midst of suffering. The middle cycle, the church is revealed as being preserved in suffering as we persevere. And the last three cycles, as we are in tonight, the church is delivered from suffering. Just a few examples of where we've been. In in the first cycle, the vision of the Lord Jesus Christ walking among his church or his churches, the message is, telling the persecuted church not to worry. Those who are tolerating sin, you beware. Those who are encouraging small and insignificant things they have in their little church, he encourages them. He knows them. He sees them. And then there's this great vision of the throne of God, which begins the second cycle. The purpose is to encourage the church down through history that the Lamb, the Lamb-like lion is on his throne. He is the one who has the key to unveiling the rest of human history. You know, in the scroll and the opening of the seals. The message of that is that life and human events are not spinning out of control. As the seals are broken, God sends in motion heavenly events that brings to pass what happens on the earth. At the end of the seals, the church is seen as triumphant having come out of this present tribulation, ever rejoicing in the glorious presence of the Lamb of God. And as we walk through the book of Revelation, we have these helpful interpretive principles concerning the seals and the trumpets, images that would have been very familiar to those in the first century that are a little distant for us today, but seals were known to be that which guarantees. Trumpets were warnings, sounded the alarm. The seven seals reveal what will happen throughout church history right up to the return of Christ with respect to the church and how God preserves and perseveres through his people. The seven trumpets reveal what's happening in history with respect to all those who dwell on the earth, unbelievers. It sounds the alarm. They're warning signs, warning bells, calling people to repent, to turn to the Lord before the last trumpet sounds. The seven trumpets are in response you may remember, to the prayers of the saints. 
The martyrs under the altar, Revelation chapter 6, crying out for justice. Oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then there's the opening of the seals. The seventh seal, there's silence in heaven for about half an hour. The goal of all the calamities that are unleashed by the trumpets, the goal is for people to turn and repent to come to the Lord. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols. Each one of those trumpets reveals not things in succession necessarily, but various aspects of the Lord's warning on the final, of the final judgment to come. Each one is like a little ladle of the final judgment that's poured out in history as a warning. This is what is coming. When the great day of the Lord arrives, the Lord Jesus returns. Well, now here in chapter 16, we're brought right up to the final judgment. Judgment day. Elsewhere known as simply the day of the Lord. So when is the day of the Lord? The scriptures are clear, first of all. People may not like it. Some may bristle against the notion. They, they may not want to talk about it, but the scriptures are clear. There will be a day of judgment. There will be. Or as it's called here in Revelation chapter 16, the great day of God Almighty. We may disagree with Christians about baptism, other Christians, or church government, or the role of women in the church, but the Bible is absolutely clear. There will be a day when God will stop time and everything else, and it will be over. The final inning, period. No more earthly life as we know it. This is called in Scripture the day of the Lord or the great day of the Lord because it will be like no other day ever. There should be no confusion about the reality that time will come to an end. There was, though, much confusion during the Old Testament church about the timeline. They read passages about the coming of the Messiah they read passages about the day of the Lord as they looked ahead into the future through the fog and they mixed the two together, thinking when the Messiah comes, it will be the day of the Lord. When he comes, he'll crush the oppressor. He'll establish justice. He'll set up his kingdom. He'll bring the kingdom of God on earth. Now, they were right, but they were also wrong. They were right about his coming in judgment, but they were wrong in the timing. They didn't understand that the Messiah would first come as a lamb, right? Born in Bethlehem. The virgin will be with child. He will grow up as a tender shoot. He was despised and rejected and we esteemed him not. He was oppressed and afflicted and yet he didn't open his mouth. He was like a lamb, led to slaughter. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. They didn't understand that the Messiah would first come as the suffering servant. Even John the Baptist was confused, right? He believed that Jesus was the Messiah, 
He at first believed Jesus was the one. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he's here. John said of him, he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And then after he baptized Jesus, Jesus, and Jesus began his ministry, and the judgment hadn't come, and time marched on, and the Romans were still in power, and they were still oppressed. The evil world kingdom hadn't been overthrown. And Jesus was doing remarkable things, so John sent messengers to Jesus, remember? What was the message that he sent to Jesus through his disciples, through John's disciples? The message was, are you the one to come or should we be expecting someone else? Do you remember what Jesus answered? Jesus said, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Go back and tell John what you've seen. Go back and tell him about all the Messianic miracles according to Isaiah 29 and 35. And then he said, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Offended? Why would he say that? Well, because Jesus wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. They couldn't see how Jesus fit into their picture of the promised Messiah. Even the disciples were confused. Remember when Jesus predicted his death as they were going up to Jerusalem? He took the 12 disciples alone off the side of the road, a little huddle talk there alongside the road, and he said, now this is, this is what's going to happen. We're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and he'll be killed, and on the third day he'll be raised again. Let's go. How did Peter respond? Killed? What? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This will never happen to you. Jesus, you've got this all wrong. What's going on in Peter's heart? Well, his Messiah picture was mixed up with the great day of the Lord, thinking that this was now when the day of the Lord was to come. I think all the twelve kept waiting for Jesus to get the show on the road, that he should start crushing the Romans, establish his kingdom, set up his rule. We'll all be famous and powerful. That's why they had that argument about who would sit on his right and his left. That's why the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and said, I want you to do something for my boys. I want you to put one on the left and one on the right. And I wonder if this had something to do with what, what discouraged Judas and caused him to betray. I think Judas was disheartened that this wasn't the big, big show that he was expecting. He's going to die? I, I'm on the wrong boat here. They all missed the point. The Messiah would first come as a suffering servant, and then he would come back in power and glory. So they were right in one sense. God would one day establish his kingdom in crushing power through his Messiah on the great day of the Lord. But first, his kingdom would be spread through the preaching of the gospel. The disciples knew their scriptures. The fact that there would be a day of the Lord was clear. The Old Testament promised it and used the same kind of words. The day of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord is coming. The great and terrible day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will be darkness. Isaiah 13, wail for the day of the Lord is near. Destruction from the Almighty will come. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp 
of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place. You hear those echoes in Revelation 16. See, the fact of the day of the Lord was clear to his disciples. They were just confused on the timing. They were, they were oppressed by pompous Romans and they wanted justice now. Well, the scriptures are still clear. There will be a day of judgment, the day of the Lord. It hasn't come. That hour is unknown. It's 100% unknown. Nobody knows. We're all waiting on the same thing. Except that we've got more light and more revelation now. Not about when it will come, but about who is coming and what will happen to those who reject the Lord. So thirdly tonight, what will it be like? Well, what does Revelation 16 say here? What will the day of the Lord be like? I tell you this, it's not going to be a slap on the wrist. You see that in these images here, right? It will, it will be a day of agony and shame. Who will be experiencing the agony? Well, those who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image, meaning those who belong to the mindset and the thinking of the world, those who persecuted the church. The martyrs are finally vindicated. And those who refused to repent and turn to God, those who chose their own way, who rejected God and his provision of a Savior. And agony will come. This sevenfold judgment of God that we find here, the pouring out of the bowls of wrath, all the forces that are available to him will be used. He is the creator. This present creation which he made will be, in a sense, decreated as what you find it here. The seas, the water, the sun, the shaking of the earth. It will destroy all that man has put his trust in. And it says people will be plunged into darkness, verse 10, gnawing their tongues in anguish and cursing the God of heaven for their pain and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. All this sounds very reminiscent of the plagues of Egypt, right? And there'll be no one there to help. Some will experience even shame. Verse 15, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Who will be experiencing this? Well, those who claim to be Christians but aren't awake. F.F. Bruce, in his commentary, makes an interesting historical note here that the captain of the temple in Jerusalem would make his rounds in the precincts of the temple at night. And if a member of the temple police was caught asleep at his post, his clothes were taken off and burned and he was sent away naked and in, in disgrace. I think this image would have been very clear to the first century Christians. We're to keep awake. We're to keep alert. There should be a sense of spiritual preparedness for us all the time, clothed in Christ's righteousness, remaining alert for the critical hours which lie ahead. What will it be like? Well, here in chapter 16, it says that all the forces of hell will break loose. Notice when the sixth bowl is poured out, there's this uprising of demonic forces assembling against God, assembling for the battle on the great day of the Lord Almighty. 
They assembled at a gathering place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Megiddo is a key city in ancient Israel, which sat high above an ancient trade route on the plain between Mesopotamia and Egypt. Who exactly is gathering? Who is assembling these forces? You can remember back in the 70s and 80s, there's all this speculation about who this was. Back years ago, they thought it was the Ottoman Empire or Germany's Third Reich and then Russia or Iran or China. Notice something clear here. These are wicked forces, demonic forces that seem to be gathering for battle against the Lord. But notice this. There's no battle. There's no battle. Right? These are symbolic images of the fury of the forces of evil, knowing that their end is near, knowing that the time is near for them. Remember when Jesus healed the demoniac? What they said? What the demon said? What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? The devil and his angels know there's a day coming. Here they, they gather for battle against the Lord. As battles had been fought on the plain of Armageddon, they battle for a battle against the Lord, but, but there's no battle. It reminds me of Psalm 2. The kings of the earth set themselves against, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. But he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. God's not impressed. <laughs> He's not threatened by them at all. It's kind of like God says, Pff. right? So often is the case, the enemies of God assemble, but God is sovereign. He's all-powerful God of the universe. He's ruler over all. So, so what is represented by Armageddon here? It's this last gasp of the forces of evil against God and his people, but they amount to nothing. They gather for battle, but there's nothing nada because God is sovereign. He's the Lord God Almighty. That This day will come and the kingdoms of this world will crumble and fall. And what else will this day be like? It'll be a day of justice, verses 5 to 7. Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, who brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. You have given them blood to drink. It's what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord, true and just are your judgments. Again, this reference to the altar goes all the way back to Revelation 6 with the opening of the seals and the cry of the souls of those who've been slain for the word of God, the cry of martyrs under the altar who cry out, how long, Lord, how long? How long will it be until you judge and bring justice, avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? that time they were said rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete well here we have it the day of justice is arriving the day when every evil person who has appeared victorious will give an account there will be a day when those who've shed their own blood for the cause of christ will be vindicated there will be a day when those who've gotten off scot-free and disappeared off to south america thinking nobody's found them will face the judgment seat of god Earlier this week in the news, there was the news of a conviction of a man connected to a series, dozens of rapes in the 1980s. 
He's found guilty of one of them. Finally, finally justice is coming. A little ladle of what will come of justice if he does not repent. What will the day of the Lord be like? It will be complete. It will be complete. Whereas up to this point, God's judgments have been limited like a little ladle of judgment here and there, like the plagues on Egypt, all pointing ahead to the final judgment to come. Now at the day of the Lord, it will be complete, evidenced by the seven angels, the seven bowls, seven pointing to the finality and completion so that the great city of man, Babylon, and man's wisdom... And man's philosophy and his ways and his accomplishments, his scientific achievements, his building of his own tower to heaven will come crashing down, will be completely annihilated and destroyed. And the fury, says the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath, verse 19, will be drained. And a loud voice from the throne will come out of the temple. And what does that voice say? It is done. That should ring a bell, right? What did Jesus say on the cross at the very end? It is finished, right? This is an echo of the cry of the Lord Jesus from the cross when he had drunk what? The cup of God's wrath, as he called it. Remember, he said to his disciples, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? When he had drunk the cup of God's wrath for us as our substitute, he said, it is finished. Now here, all those who have not trusted in his finished work on the cross will hear this. It is done. It will be a day of horrible anguish, weeping and gnashing of teeth. It will be a day of victory over the forces of evil. They will amount to nothing. It will be a day of complete vindication and justice. It will be complete. The old things will pass away. The new heavens and the new earth will come. Well, lastly, how do we respond to this? How are we to get ready for this great day of the Lord? I'll give you two things. You can go home tonight and improve on the sermon and think of more. How do we get ready? Should should we go out and build secret bomb shelters for this great day of the Lord? Actually, my neighbors in Iowa, where I grew up, their house was built about late 1950s, early 60s. They had a a bomb shelter for this. Should we stock up on weapons, AK-47s, and stock up on canned goods? Should, Should we buy up land in the wilderness and build a fortified city, a commune, and hold out there? How do we respond? Well, first of all, we need to be ready. Every single day. Jesus Jesus says here that he's coming like a thief in the night. It won't be marked by literal kings gathering for battle on the plains of Megiddo. That's not a thief in the night coming. That would be rather obvious. No, it will come as Jesus clearly taught during his earthly ministry. It will come suddenly. Watch, therefore you don't know the day or the hour. That, that, That... Warning is repeated here in verse 15. I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake. The other day I was driving up to Fort Myers and I was so weary. I was so tired. I felt I should have taken a nap before I went. I had to go to an appointment. I pulled off the exit at Miramar Outlets. Sitting at the stoplight there, I almost fell asleep. 
I caught myself. I thought, I, I've got to take a nap. So I pulled over under a tree because I was 25 minutes early, and I took a little rest so that I would be able to stay awake. I took a power nap. How do we stay awake spiritually, vigilant, ready for the day of the Lord? Well, we need to do everything we can to stay alert, and that involves rest for our souls so we don't burn out. And we need to be ready. The way to be ready is to to stay faithful, to stay spiritually awake. Do everything you can to stay vigilant in the faith. And that is to encourage one another and help others. It's interesting. It makes that passage in Hebrews all the more clear. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Why? All the more as you see the day drawing near. How do we stay ready? Well, we keep growing, keep gathering for worship, keep trusting, be, be ready for it at any time. Jesus said, you must be ready. The Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. And just like it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. In those days, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage right up until the day Noah entered the ark. If you're not sure that you're ready, why would you wait another day? If you're not sure you're ready, why on earth would you wait? Turn to the Lord today this very night cry out for mercy the day of the lord could be for you this very night it's appointed for every man once to die and after that comes the judgment for those who don't know christ you don't know what tonight will bring you don't know are you ready remember that rich man in the bible with the barns and needing more barns to hold all his stuff His hope was in his stuff. Jesus said, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. Judgment come for those who don't know the Lord the moment they die. That will be the day of the Lord for them. For the believer, oh, we go to be with the Lord, away from the body, home with the Lord, because he took the judgment for us. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't even know what tonight holds. This all hit home very close for my wife and I today. It's our son, Daniel, and his wife, who were here at Christmas, and our grandchild, were very nearly in a head-on crash last night. They called to tell us that. Last night, they they live in a rural Washington state in the Yakima Valley. They were heading down a two-lane highway on home from the house they just bought, their first home, getting it ready, heading back to her parents' house on a two-lane highway the Yakima Indian Reservation. There was one car coming towards them. As it approached, a second car passed that one car coming towards them, but got in the passing lane and stayed in their lane, right in front of them, right in front of them. There was no place to go. My son Daniel held the steering wheel and maneuvered just at the last minute right between the two cars as they just barely split, only inches to spare. They stopped the car, and they broke down in tears because they knew they, they nearly died along with their little boy. She said just a little while ago, 
I don't know how we made it. We live on the edge of eternity, friends, every single day. If you're not sure you're ready, why on earth would you wait? Turn to the Lord today. Cry out this very night for mercy. How do you do that? From your heart you say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. I need you, Lord, and your full satisfaction of your death on the cross for my sins. Secondly, how did the apostles view getting people ready for that day? This is my last point. How did they view getting people ready for that day? They, they did it by proclaiming the gospel, telling people lovingly, patiently that they needed a Savior. You think of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, which Juan mentioned or preached about from this morning. Peter spoke clearly of that day in Acts chapter 2, the very first Christian sermon The sun shall be turned to darkness, he says, and the moon to blood. That's just like what you find here in Revelation 16. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Apostle Paul did the same thing. It's amazing to see both Peter and Paul and their love for sinners, whether Jew or Gentile. Paul Paul gathered, well, Paul longed for his his kinsmen according to the flesh, the Jews, to come to Christ. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. He says, I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. I wish that I myself were accursed for the sake of my brothers, my fellow Jews. And when he went to the Gentiles who were clueless about the things of God, remember what he said in Athens? He commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day God has on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he appointed. And of this, he's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. How do we get ready for that day of the Lord? We keep on being salt and light, taking the gospel of the kingdom to the world with love, calling on everyone everywhere to turn to the Lord, warning them as the apostles did. There's a great day coming. You can find refuge today in the Lamb of God. You don't have to get what you deserve. That line is in here. They got what they deserve. You don't have to get what you deserve. We all deserve judgment. You don't have to get what you deserve if you find refuge in the Son of God. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would come and visit us tonight and apply these truths to our heart. Remind us, O Lord, of that great day that's coming. May we fly to Christ every single day and walk with him and keep our eyes looking towards heaven. O Lord, keep us faithful. And bless, Lord, our giving tonight, the tithes and offerings which we bring to you. Use these gifts and tithes and offerings to build your church, to bring others to know the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.